Chapter 18 of Homecraft Rugs, Their Historical Background, Romance of Stitchery, and Method of Making by Lydia LeBaron Walker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joanne Turner. Embroidered Carpets and Rugs in Darned Stitchery. Chapter 18 includes color plates 20 and 21, which may be viewed in the online version of the book. Embroidered carpets have from the first held a high place in ornamented textiles. According to Sir George Birdwood, it would appear that carpets originated in embroidery and that carpets were first used like embroideries for hangings, etc. As practically all homecraft rugs are dependent upon stitchery in one form or another for their development, it will be seen that the term embroidered rugs is too inclusive for any satisfactory and helpful results to be gained from their study unless the subject is subdivided. Some of the divisions result in creating distinctions in handicrafts, such as are found in knitting, crocheting, quilting, while others, coming more strictly under the term of embroidery, as differentiated from stitchery, are dependent upon divisions in the technique of ornamental sewing. These finer points of discrimination are necessary in rug craft, which must be closely studied for methods of work and the application of the embroideries. Hence, the chapters on cross-stitch, canvas-woven, tapestry, etc., apart from embroidery restricted to a special style of rug. Under the heading of this chapter, those rugs only will be considered in which the embroidery is an incident of decoration and not an actual method of construction, and in which the stitchery does not encroach upon any special type of rug elsewhere treated. The classification followed is one in common use. It signifies rugs in which the embroidery is seen in traceries of pattern and in solid stitchery worked upon a textile, which may form a visible foundation background elsewhere. Just what the stitches were in the prehistoric carpets referred to by Sir George Birdwood and how they ornamented the carpets has not yet been discovered, but sufficient knowledge has been gained for two distinct types of stitches to assert themselves. Which of the two preceded the other in stitchery sequence is not determined. One is tent and double tent, called cross-stitch, dependent upon the weave for the construction of the embroidery on counted threads, built up as it is on the precision of warp and weft. The other is chain stitch, dependent upon the primitive needle whereby all embroidery was done, and which tool had a crook instead of an eye. Chain stitch is therefore unfettered by the structure of the woven textile, though this is frequently made use of to great advantage. The two stitches are so entirely opposite in type and structure that one could not have evolved from the other. The problem then remains whether the textile or the tool was responsible for prehistoric embroidered rugs. The stitches would appear to have sprung into existence almost simultaneously. Cross-stitch, which gives an extra durability to an entire foundation, has this in its favor in the realm of floor coverings. Chain stitch, its rival, can but ornament, 
though when so doing, it can be used as running stitch to secure other thicknesses of fabric to the underside of the surface textile, as in quilted rugs. Both cross-stitch and quilted rugs are recognized types of such importance in rug craft that separate chapters are devoted to them, but this does not preclude the use of each stitch in rugs that come under the name of embroidered carpets. Besides cross-stitch and chain-stitch, darned embroidery, which too has historic background, is now popular in rug craft. There are also many other stitches, flat, effective, and suitable, that are at the command of the rug maker for her embroidered carpets. Stout linen was used for embroidered rug foundations by the Persians and East Indians in their warmer climates, but heavy homespun in weights known as blanketing was favored by American settlers in their colder section of the globe. Today, felt takes the place of blanketing. While it is not nearly so congenial to the needle, it can be had in weights suitable for rug making. No other should be used, lest the sort of rug facetiously described as a follow-up rug result, one which refuses to lie flat and slides along the floor as it is stepped onto or off of. Neither felt nor blanketing resists the grinding wear of heels, though each mats or felts well under pressure. The importation of India Numda rugs with their smart oriental stitchery has given an impetus to this type of embroidered handicraft rug. Chain stitch is employed. The firmness of the fabric does away with the need of any frame. As these rugs are described fully in the chapter on felt rugs, Though they are distinctly embroidered floor coverings of the type coming under the classification of this chapter, they will not be described more fully here. Under the chapter on patchwork, another type of felt embroidered rugs will be found, in which applique takes the place of stitchery or supplements it. There are some beautiful old embroidered carpets extant from colonial and early Victorian days. Plate 20 shows one on homespun blanketing. It is of tambour work, a fine sense of design, and a hint of knowledge of classic rug patterns is evident, for the tree of life is as clearly portrayed as on many an old Persian carpet. It is impossible to say at this date whether the design is an original expression of this famous motif an adaptation of a rug pattern interpreted in the terms of early American rug craft, or whether the design was copied as exactly as possible from some ceramic ornamentation. By whatever way it found itself on the rug, there is represented in it the artistry of the young maiden, who by tradition made the rug, even to the spinning of the yarn and the weaving of the textile as a part of her marriage portion. The embroidered carpet is made in two breadths, for no loom of that day could weave a material wide enough for a carpet. As the word carpet was interchangeably used in olden times to designate a floor covering, a wall hanging, and a cover for a divan or table, this quaint carpet may well prove an inspiration for a wall hanging embroidered today. To keep it true to type, use a woolen homespun for the background. 
Canadian homespun is excellent and not costly. The design should be open and in peasant style. It can be supplemented with applique. A hanging of this sort in classic peasant art has the background of heavy, round-thread linen textile. It is ornamented with braid, crocheted motifs, and stitchery. The basket is of openly plaited strips of brown braid. The blossoms and leaves are in coarse yarn, crocheted to form correct shapes, while ornamental stitchery supplies tendrils, leaves, etc. It adorns the walls of an old-fashioned dining room. As will be seen by the decoration, this hanging would not be suited to a floor covering, but is delightful as a hanging. However, the same kind of linen is excellent for rugs, both those embroidered with stitchery alone or with quilting as well. Sufficient body must be supplied in such rugs, either by the thicknesses of fabric that is united by quilting or else by lining and interlining. Among the early embroidered carpets of America that are notable, the one known as the Caswell carpet, now in the possession of Homer Eaton Keyes, Esquire, is unparalleled for diversity of design and for size in the type of stitchery, tambour work, in which it is developed. No two of the scores of squares or oblong sections that unite to make the carpet are duplicates, nor are they pictorially related. Each is a separate entity. In this feature, the carpet outdoes the quaint patchwork quilt of coordinated pattern, which, it would seem, must have been the inspiration for the special type of sectional structure used in the floor covering. The carpet suggests the scattered pages of old-time picture books of unequal size, spread out and fitted together as best they could be, in which each page tells its own story or gives some particular delineation. One picture, for instance, of a woman presenting to a man a bit of fruit, like an apple, immediately brings to mind the biblical story of Adam and Eve and the apple, with the thought that the needle might have been substituted for the brush in reproducing an antiquated illustration. Some sections are reminiscent of gay English, French, and India prints, while others are typical of designs found on ceramics. The colors are as soft as those found in an antique saraband rug, and the stitchery almost as profuse. Plate 21 faintly portrays the charm of one of the picture page sections. Whatever was the spur to the spectacular fancy of the maker, one Zerua Higley Guernsey, afterwards Mrs. Caswell by marriage, the carpet is expressive of a fertile imagination and a versatile personality. Not only did she design the carpet, but records state that she prepared all the materials, which were homegrown wool, homespun and home dyed, and the foundation, home woven as in the Whitney rug. While the carpet represents her handiwork, she did receive some little help and had the kindly grace to acknowledge it by having the initials of the two persons worked in the sections they did. Her own name is lettered in full, together with the date 1835, which may stand for the year of beginning the carpet, of its completion, or some interim between. 
Her helpers were two Indian boys, known to have been guests of the family when the carpet was being made. The designs of the sections they worked are not Indian creations, however, for patterns prevailing in the mid-Victorian era are typical throughout and nowhere show Indian characteristics, which are utterly dissimilar. The Caswell carpet, like the Plenay Moore carpet, has a deep indentation along one side where the carpet fitted about a chimney or hearth. In the former, the allowance was quite evidently made for a hearth instead of a chimney, as in the Moore carpet. The grounds for this deduction are established by the presence of an adjustable separate section in the Caswell carpet, which deftly fits into the indentation. When summer came and blazing logs were needed no more in the fireplace, it was safe to cover the hearth close to the fireboard, and this section then was set in position, giving symmetry to the floor covering. Burlap was sometimes used in old-time embroidered rugs for the backgrounds, and so precedent is provided for the burlap embroidered rug of today. A good grade of the textile is now available. On it, the stitchery of counted threads can be used. Since the weave is rectilinear Assisi work, cross-stitch, etc., can bring out ancient Coptic designs and old Indian patterns, or the stitchery can be used to make silhouette rugs of up-to-date novelty. Chain stitch worked without reference to the weave, and any other stitches that are flat can be employed for the rug embroidery. These rugs are excellent for cottages, chambers in which old-style painted furniture, not modernistic, is used, for farmhouses kept true to furnishings formerly standing in the rooms, for sun porches and upper halls. A type of stitchery admirably adapted to rug craft is found in darned embroidery. It has been put to some slight use, but in so simplified and modified a form that it bears little resemblance to the old-fashioned work. It remains for the present rug makers to raise the standard and make it worthy of its fine ancestry. The stitch is nothing more nor less than that known in plain sewing as running. The rules transforming it into darned embroidery are to have the stitch on the right side of the work twice as long as on the wrong, and to have the work in rows with stitches alternately spaced. Only a few threads of the textile are cut up by the needle, or the upper stitch covering twice as many threads would be too long to wear well. Any textile suited to embroidered rug making can be employed. Linen, woolen homespun, burlap, etc., except cross-stitch canvas. This, and textiles that cannot be left visible, must be avoided. Darned embroidery is one of antiquity in India. In the 16th century, it was introduced into England, entering as much through Portugal as Spain, a usual source, owing to the alliance of royalty through King Charles with the Portuguese princess Catherine of Braganza. It is worthy of note that needlecraft was, in the past, considered one of the fine arts to be cultivated. It traveled from one country to another and was seized upon as an asset of beauty and homemaking, and in secular as well as ecclesiastical art. Darning stitch is identical with that used in quilting, which went from India, 
then Spain, Italy, and Portugal, through the Arabs and Moors, and thence to England. In darning, it is developed differently from quilting. The East Indian darning is full of subtleties, such as changing the direction of lines to conform to contours. This supplies not only an effect of shading, but even of action, as, for instance, when used in a raised arm or a leg thrust forward in walking or running. In this work, the stitchery was employed to embroider the design. Today in rug making, it may be put to the identical use, or the darning may form the positive, worked background to throw in relief the negative, unworked design. Or again, both styles of embroidery may be used on the same rug. Background darning was a pronounced feature in the Renaissance of the work in the middle of the 19th century. Then patterns were bold rather than intricate. In rug craft, it is this later type of bold design that finds itself at home. It is used variously, sometimes to develop patterns and sometimes backgrounds, the positive pattern being more favored. It is scarcely more artistic in the heavier character of work demanded by rug making. A definite type of darning embroidery having a vogue in rug craft uses a honeycomb or waffle canvas foundation. The medium is run under the raised bars formed by the weave. These bars separate the medium as if many smaller stitches were taken, though they are not. The work is a rapidly done embroidery and darning style and is described fully in the chapter on chenille rugs because chenille is a favorite medium for this work. Yarn and even rags can be used, however, as is there pointed out. Darned rugs are not to be confused with marquetry embroidered rugs. The former can be done on any fabric suited to rug making as described, while the latter require a specific textile. All these rugs should be lined. Embroidered rugs, whether done in cross-stitch, chain-stitch, darning, etc., should be dignified in design and worked in shades of sufficient depth to suit the purpose. What are known as oriental colors are commended. End of chapter 18